Hello, this is Simon Scriver. I am one of the co-founders of Fundraising Everywhere and Everywhere Plus, along with Ms. Nikki Bell. Uh, as you know, we sometimes like to hand over the microphone to people who are smarter and more entertaining than us, uh, and better well-spoken. Um, and today is no different. Today we are handing over the microphone to Sarah Lyon. You might know her as a creative communicator, a relationship builder, or most of all, as a fundraiser. She won the AFP Nova Scotia Professional Fundraiser of the Year Award in 2020. And we are fundraising everywhere. are huge fans of Sarah. Uh, we hand over the mic to her at most events, and we know you all love hearing from her. So here's a special friend of ours. Here's Sarah Lyon. Over to you today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast. I am Sarah Lyon, your podcast host for today, and this truly is Fundraising Everywhere because I'm coming to you from Canada, the East Coast, and I am here with a fellow Canadian, Juniper Glass, who's in uh, Ontario, I believe. Juniper, thank you, and welcome to the podcast. I'm not even in Ontario. I'm in Montreal. That's where oh. I live. <laughs> how, how, like, a... Uh, how international of me to just assume you're in Toronto. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no problem. It won't, it wasn't the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> well, it's Simon and Nikki. It's an international podcast. So many people are probably like, there's more than Toronto. Uh, <laughs> so welcome Juniper. And thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to everybody Juniper is the principal of Lumiere Consulting, a firm that supports grant-making foundations, nonprofits, and Indigenous organizations with strategic planning, research, and evaluation. She's a research associate and partnership advisor at Phil Lab, the Canadian Philanthropy Partnership Research Network, and she holds a master's of philanthropy and nonprofit leadership from Carleton University. When do you sleep, Juniper? <laughs> well, the year, the like two years that I was doing my master's, my son was very small and I did not sleep very much because I was also working four days a week. But, but these days it's going pretty well. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. So that is what I would say from a bio, a passion for philanthropy. So with that experience in education, what drew you to the nonprofit sector? Yeah, I think, I mean, I've always had this inherent um, sense of, wanting to contribute to the world. It sounds really broad, but um, I started as a teenager um, getting involved in environmental activism in BC, where I grew up, where I'm from. And I also always had this innate sense of sort of feminism or that like women's leadership or ways of knowing were really important to creating the world in a healthier, more more peaceful kind of model than what we were seeing. So I don't know where those come from, but I definitely <laughs> was able to pursue them in my studies, in my undergrad. I studied gender studies and international development. Um, and then always had jobs in nonprofit. I've never actually worked in a for-profit. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Juniper, you and I virtually met earlier this year uh, because I'm a board member at the AFP Foundation uh, for Philanthropy Canada and you presented and you presented on this paper that you published, Donor Engagement of Women in Canada, Insights on Fundraising Programs and Practices 
which we're gonna link to in the box so that everybody can read it. It's a great paper. We're only gonna scratch the surface of it today. But why? So I think we have a little bit of your history about maybe, but why did you just look at donor engagement of women? Yeah, so um, it's really cool that AFP Foundation Canada offers um, a research grant. It's almost annual, it's almost every year. And um, part of my kind of world and part of what I love to do in my work is research. And it's not very often that we get to do primary research, like original, like going and talking to people and looking at data and then bringing up some new findings. So um, I was really excited by that opportunity. And I merged it with my, so I think a lot of my like, a lot of my motivation comes from being slightly irritated by things and then <laughs> wanting to change them. So this one came from hearing and being, not being part of, but, but being an observer in many, many events around women in philanthropy, women in philanthropy, women in philanthropy. And they would always be kind of like interesting and great people on the panels and everything, but like really just scratching the surface and really just being about how, yeah, you know, women have more and more access to money and wealth in Canada and in the US and probably in other regions of the world too. Um, and women tend to give differently than men when they, when they donate to, to nonprofits or to social change work. And so I was like, okay, great. But like, what, if you're a nonprofit, how do you apply that insight about women and men giving slightly differently? Um, like, what does it actually mean? And so, so that was the inspiration for this project. And I thought, even that I wanted to go deeper, but, but that was my original research question was finding out um, how nonprofit organizations across Canada um, were engaging women as donors specifically. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I embarked on trying to find out what were all the women focused donor engagement programs out there, what were their characteristics and and were there any insights? Because I always, um, like, I, I, I'm, I'm equal parts, like, super practical and, like, super, like, I, in terms of social justice, like, I want things to be their best. Like, I want us to go deeper. And if there's ways that we can improve, um, you know, justice and equity and inclusion in our work, um, then I want us to go there and discuss it and make it happen. So. So that's what I did. And um, I looked at um, 70 different uh, women-focused donor engagement programs that I could find across Canada. And they were from environmental organizations and hospitals and universities, um, animal rights organizations, and also a lot of gender equity organizations and social right. service uh, groups as well. Right. Yeah. So I think one of the things that you said that I, I know it's podcasting, people can't see, but I smiled when you said that you were irritated. And I think, you know, people who are irritated and want to make a difference is yeah. who we need in this world and definitely in this industry. So I'm glad about that. So just some questions around the research that I have is, you know, who did you interview? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I decided to 
do a number of like research methods. So part of it was just um, like checking out the websites of those women donor engagement programs. I found 70 of them. Um, but then I also wanted to go deeper with fundraisers and also with um, major donors who are women, not necessarily who see themselves as feminist or anything, but just who are women and who are active in their, um, in their philanthropy and their giving. Mm -hmm. So the fundraisers that I interviewed, um, there were 16 of them and I wanted to have like a nice broad um, expanse across Canada and different types of organizations, different ages, generations as well. And um, I wanted to hear from them, like, what worked in their women-focused donor engagement program, what were the challenges, and so on, so that we could start to develop some learnings about this kind of method of practice. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, they were great. They were very enthusiastic, and I felt this sense of, wow, really, people don't get a lot of chance to talk about this area of their work. Um, so yeah, there was a great thirst to, to dive deeper. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I got to be the benefit of that. <laughs> so when you talk about um, the different or, uh, organizations that you were, that mm -hmm. you were researching, one of the questions that came to my mind was, did you find that women donors engage with a wide variety of issues and organizations or are there top trends especially if we've seen since 2016 we all mm -hmm. know what happened that year um more movements like me too and black lives matter yeah so other people's research not my own has have found that um and this is what i was building upon um that um, women, when they are giving to a cause, they tend to want to um, give to fewer causes, but in a deeper way. Okay. And they also want more, not, more information and more engagement with the organizations they support than men. Mm -hmm. um, and this was a result of my research. Um, well, I mean, I, I can't, I can't say, but from the fundraisers' perspectives, um, they found that the women who are involved in their women's committees or their advisories or their honorary boards or their um, like women's philanthropy membership networks um, that they were hosting at their nonprofits, they found that the donors were, a lot of them were interested in changing the root causes, having an impact at a deeper systemic level. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the promising findings from my research is that I know as a former fundraiser in um, a social justice organization, that finding the money for policy advocacy, for changing the narratives around an issue and so on, it's not easy to, it's not easy to find those those donors and those funders. Um, it's easier to find money for the direct programs that are gonna, going to affect individuals' lives in a good way. And so I think that there's, a, I think that that's an opportunity. I think that talking about root causes, and I think this goes down to Me Too, like Me Too was not surprising to most women. Me Too is just like, wow, people are really talking about this on a global scale. 
in a way that, but they, but we already knew that it, what was going on because so many women have experienced violence in different forms. And so I feel it's the same way about women donors interest in systemic changes and, and addressing root causes is we, a lot of us have this deep inner sense that the way we do business in this world right now, it's not good for the animals. It's not good for the environment. It's not good for most people and it's not good for equity and so on. And so, um, and so they're willing to make a leap and support nonprofits who are trying to change, um, change policies and change narratives around those important issues. So I think that's a great opportunity. And um, so I'm encouraging nonprofits to explore with their women donors, you know, who are already on board, because that's, that's a, an important practice, is to co-create um, any kind of new approach or program with existing women donors so that, um, so that they are giving insights into what will make it work and to, to really open up that idea of um, how do we create more support for our systems change work, for our transformational change work, for our policy advocacy, and then see what women say. Women who already support the cause, ask them and say, this is our vision for change. What can we do to mobilize more women to support as donors? And I bet you'll get really good answers. <laughs> well, and you know, Juniper, that is, I hope everybody took notes on that one. Uh, when I did hear you speak earlier this year, and I think I messaged you afterwards, um, I'm, I, it was such an eye-opener to me. And so I do thank you because I have already made a change at my work um, in what I'm doing because it just made sense what you were saying. And nobody has, uh, it seems, feels, that nobody's really done this research really before. And I'm just wondering, so we know that the charitable workforce is about 80% made up of women. Yeah. And your research found in the US that 40% of organizations aren't paying attention to women donors. Mm -hmm. How much of that do you think is inherited or ingrained misogyny that mm -hmm. the men, the husbands have yeah. the money? Totally. Oh, it totally is. And just to note, that wasn't like one of my findings, but it was one oh. of the other research sources Sorry. that I discovered. No worries. Um, but it's always important in research, like we're always building on each other's work. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one of the findings from the US um, from another set of researchers. And it's totally <laughs> built on, on um, living in a gender unequal society, in a sexist society, in a misogynist society that um, uh, the model of, um, of a family and therefore the model of um, a philanthropist is based on a male head of the family. And so even today, some of the researchers, uh, some of the fundraisers that I interviewed said their databases aren't really set up to recognize more than one head of a family. Yeah. And so, and then others were saying, oh yeah, well, we've, we've learned that, you know, a few different things, which is like, um, uh, always include, include both people in a couple. And here we're talking about a heterosexual model clearly, but always include, you know, both people in a couple. If, if the man passes away, which often happens, which is a big part of, 
he passes away first and that's just statistically what you know more likely and and often what happens is that um you know the university that's his alma mater will stop sending information yes yep to that address anymore but they shouldn't because <laughs> there's still a connection to the family mm -hmm. um and and yeah so there's there's also been a lot of research in um in canada and the us on who makes decisions about donations in the family and so women do tend to be more active in deciding where the money goes in terms of charitable donations mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of a no-brainer like it just makes sense to include but yeah it was funny to me how even you know our technological solutions um have to be transformed if we're going to include um, uh, data, for example, not assuming that couples are heterosexual or um, being able to address all members of a family in our communications. Um, yeah, so the structures um, and the tools that we have around fundraising uh, still harken back to when modern fundraising got its start. Mm -hmm. There's a really interesting um, fundraising consultant and researcher in the US who's a, a lead in this area called Kathleen Lohr and definitely look up her stuff because she wrote a whole book on this. Um, she, you know, she said like all of our fundraising best practices, what we think of as best practices actually come from the 60s when um, you know, big institutions, universities, hospitals, we're trying to fundraise um, from, from upper, upper class white men. And it's like, they don't, that's, there's so many other people who are willing to give. <laughs> right, yeah. right. That's so true. I mean, um, I think it's something that we somewhat talk about, about the lack of, you know, female CEOs, the lack of uh, women around a board table. So really it's about, going back to the beginning and saying how can i look at these relationships differently from the start mm -hmm. is what Definitely. you're saying yes i i talked to one fundraiser who spoke about working at a university in a particular department and going to meet a donor um, who was in a, a single elderly woman at this point and they developed such a relation, not, not over time or anything, but just the fact that she was, that the fundraiser was in a place of respecting that other woman's life story and not making assumptions about her, that the woman was, elderly woman was able to open up and talk about the fact that, in fact, she was lesbian and she, she did have a life partner for a very long time. And, but those aren't something, those aren't things that, um, normal fundraising approaches would would open the door for and because of that being able to share her life story you know her career successes as well as some of her her personal interests and and her personal story um she felt more of an attachment to right. the university and was able to make a bigger donation so respecting women's life experiences was one of the key best practices that came out of my research Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that. So when I, so, you know, going back to kind of this 
ingrained or inherited misogyny and how like I love that and that you know we're fundraising like the 60s I know I heard your research and I was pumped and I went to have my first conversation about a women's only committee and I was with a, a strong woman and I found myself embarrassed for having and embarrassed might not be the right word but how did you find did you find this in your research that i was going to somebody and i was saying you know i'm coming to you because you're a woman mm. you know did did the research do women like being called out and identified mm -hmm. that you're a strong woman that's why we wanted to come to you or are they like don't single me out like this what did you find yeah i mean i heard that from the donors a lot which yeah. is, they're just like, well, I just happen to be a woman and I happen to be a philanthropist and like, I happen to be interested in like <laughs> women's rights, but like, there's no connection between all of that. And I was like, okay, yeah, interesting. <laughs> so um, I think it's part of, it definitely is part of sexism that we, that people, that women internalize, um, you know, don't treat us special, you know, we're not different, right? Um, which is true in many ways. We're seeking an equal world. So why is there a need for a women's committee or a women's fundraising program? But the fact is we've been unequal for so long that we need, we missed out a lot. So, so we need like to have certain spaces that are um, exclusive or that focus on women and their values and interests. Um, around our charitable causes in order to see what's there um, because we might discover new things. Um, I, yeah, and, and I mean, I, I definitely heard from the fundraisers that they often received pushback from male mm -hmm. leaders in their organization. <laughs> yeah. Or Surprise. just blank, like just like not understanding why this was important at all. Yes, yep um also a sense of like frustration like show me the money like expecting a new approach and a new systemic kind of transformation in the way that fundraising is done uh to show monetary results right away which yeah. is unrealistic um <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's so funny because as you're saying it i can remember looking across from somebody who was challenging me on it and i i said this is this is the hill this will be yeah. my hill. So come at me. This will be, I have Juniper's paper right here. Come at me. This is my hill. So you mentioned women's fundraising program. Can, what is that definition of that? Or what is the, what does that look like? Is it yeah. various so amounts I'm, of things? I'm glad you're asking that just because I really also want to add the caveat that um, this is not the be all and end all and only way to address this whole issue um, is to have a separate or specific fundraising program um, within your organization. So, so what I noticed is that um, a number of organizations are starting to develop uh, donor engagement programs that are specifically focused on women. And there is a few different types that are pretty common. Um, and I'll talk about those in a sec. But then there's another approach which is more about um, it's it's longer and it's more to do with a diversity and equity and inclusion mandate, which is about mainstreaming, incorporating um, gender and race and class awareness and all the others 
uh, into our fundraising in a more um, comprehensive way. So some organizations, especially women's foundations and gender equity organizations are taking the lead in that area of sort of mainstreaming um, equity. But a lot of organizations aren't there yet. Um, and so they often will begin with um, creating a focus on, on women donors within their broader fundraising work. And so the different types um, that I noticed, so one was kind of working with major donors, so bigger, bigger amounts of donation, fewer people, um, and engaging them over a longer term. So creating kind of an exclusive group and experience for major women donors is one approach taken by some organizations. And, um, and it depends on the organization. There were organizations that had this kind of exclusive approach um, where the, the annual donation was $1,000 and others where the annual donation was like ten dollars or $20,000. So it didn't really seem to, to make a difference. But in terms of their strategy, it was to create an experience where women who are really, really interested and devoted to a particular issue um, addressed by the organization um, got to meet each other, got to develop a sense of camaraderie, got to feel that they were hearing the inside scoop from the organization about strategies, about what was coming next, um, maybe even got to participate in some meetings um, with high-level policy people or got to attend conferences. So creating that kind of more exclusive uh, sort of sense for them. And then the other most common type of program was much broader, but based on similar things, creating a sense of membership, of network, offering events. Remember that one we could do in-person events? Barely, <laughs> but yes. Yeah, I know. Um, offering spaces throughout the year where women could come together, could celebrate their interest in the cause and their devotion to the cause, um, but it was more, it was more people, more, do more donors, um, and less of, of a sense of like, um, you know, elite and, and with a more modest um, annual donation. Mm -hmm. um, but also opportunities to volunteer, opportunities to help out in different ways. Um, so those were definitely by far the most common, but there's also, um, the giving circle model, which is, uh, has been gaining in popularity over the last decade around the world. And most giving circles are, uh, members are women, no matter the cause that they focus on. So a giving circle is a group of people who um, each give a donation and then collectively decide where the donation will go. And so some nonprofits are innovating and creating internal giving circles. So it still gives um, often through, you know, one event or a few events a year where um, uh, members will give a donation and then they will get exposed to different projects coming from within the organization and get excited about them, ask questions, and then decide which one they want to dedicate their collective donation to. Yeah. So that's, um, I think that's a really interesting way to go because it, it helps, um, it helps educate the donor on what the what the work is of the organization. Um, it's fairly light touch. It's dedicated to 
you know, projects that the organization has already prioritized internally um, or programs. And, um, but yeah, it gives that sense of being hands-on <laughs> to the donor. I really, so I really like that because I'm going to have a controversial opinion here. <laughs> and listeners, you can at me on Twitter. We'll have this conversation. But when I look at those external giving circles where, um, you know, when we talk about women want to be more involved in the organization and they, you know, they want to help solve a problem, but then you're asked to come and give a five minute presentation yeah. with three others and you're voted on and you don't, you don't get to interact with the donors. You don't get to do a follow-up with the donors, you know, it's just like a GoFundMe, which yeah. I say is giving, it's not a donation. So is that what you found though with the research? Is it an entry point for some women to do these external giving circles? Um, because they're very yeah. popular with- the, They are very popular. With non-fundraisers, yeah. yeah. There's, um, there's a movement or type of organization called 100 Women Who Give. So there's many, many chapters now across Canada. Um, these are also becoming popular at community foundations, okay. which um, I think makes sense. But in terms of, you know, I also come from like the like nonprofit, uh, you know, working within a nonprofit. And I know that what we want is support for our important work and we do it very well. We understand our, you know, clientele, we understand our issue. We, we want more support for that. So, External giving circles um, do seem very strange where there is like this competition set up. Um, so, but I, I think that the internal giving circle model is, is maybe a way to harness that excitement around the model and the, the framework of the giving circle, but mm -hmm. still keeping it focused on the organization. Like all the money in the end is going to go to the organization. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and that seems to be the point of what you were saying of why and how the characteristics of women donors is that then they get to see it from either the ground up or they would have more impact. They would be able to hear more about the project and really feel a, a sense of community around it. So I love, love that idea and I am stealing it. Um, <laughs> I know it's Friday when we're recording this, but I know what I'm doing later tonight. Um, you have a section in the in your research along the same lines of promising practices and innovation. Yeah. So what are some examples, internal giving circle, we're all writing that one down, yeah. of good to great ways organizations are addressing this gap? Yeah, so um, I mentioned earlier um, that nonprofits should not be scared of um, asking their close women donors to support their, their advocacy and their systems change work, their policy work. So that's, I think that's an, uh, an important area. Um, I think also that um, the, we're not just fundraising, we're also um, shifting the way that we work throughout the nonprofit when we start to put a focus on gender equity on racial equity and so on. So the importance of leadership styles of making our communications inclusive and so on. So this, um, you know, I think there's a lot more 
um, chance for um, an organization, developing organizational cultures mm -hmm. that are going to favor diverse donors. And um, so that's a whole area. It's um, not easy to do as one fundraiser working within an organization, but definitely something, it's a trend that organizations are, are considering and moving towards. Um, the fact that, you know, women aren't just women, they're also, um, you know, people of color often, or they're people working in a particular profession, or they may have immigrated to Canada in their lifetime, or they may have multiple languages, they may be parents of a child with a disability. So recognizing that um, the diverse dimensions of each, um, of each donor is an aspect of intersectionality, which is an important um, approach to doing nonprofit work, to doing anything really, but that takes into account the multiplicity of, of experiences within each individual. Um, so that we don't just think, oh, all women like this. No, that's not true at all. It's like, there's, e there's so many layers, right? There's generation, mm -hmm. there's age, there's culture and race and so on. So um, taking the time to do a bit more in-depth thinking about how your organization's fundraising program um, is appealing to, to that diversity of women. And then I'm, I'd also think you know, there's, there gets to be this tension in fundraising between how much are you trying to please the donor and then how much you're actually trying to like educate the donor so that they get it, <laughs> so that they'll want to support your work. So I think that that issue of like donor education is, it, is, is an area for exploration and figuring out where are your working edges in your organization. Mm. Um, and then I think that there's, there's opportunity right now. We, because of social media, we are living in a time when um, it can be transformational to do an innovative one-off fundraiser for something that is emergent, for something that's an opportunity right now. Um, and so just try it, you know, just like, just prototype it and do it and then learn from it. So not that we have to have heavy, long, well thought out programs, but that we can, we can really use that spirit of, of innovation um, to just try things and see if they work. And, and then the other area is around um, legacy giving and wills um, because women are slated to inherit a whole lot of money that they didn't have access to before in previous decades. And they're inheriting it from their fathers who pass away, from their partners who pass away. And then they're also generating their own wealth through their work. And um, so, so yeah, not discounting the older woman <laughs> because <laughs> she's actually gonna have access to a lot of resources. Well, and that's the thing, like I, I, we have to come to an end, but if, you know, if you needed just that one, like a, a little stat to give your CEO or board, it's, it's $900 billion in Canada. Yeah. That's estimated inherited assets that will flow to Canadian women in the next 
uh, you know, roughly 10 years. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that number, giving the number helps. Juniper, this, I wish we could talk all day um, because <laughs> I think there is so much to talk about. We've scratched the surface. Where can people reach you after they've heard the podcast and read the research paper? Where can they connect with you? Yeah, so I, I'm lucky to have an unusual name. It's pretty easy to find me on the interwebs, um, Juniper Glass. So um, I have a pretty active LinkedIn account, a very dormant Twitter account, and, um, and my website is uh, lumiereconsulting.ca. Awesome. You're actually the second fundraising Juniper in Canada I've interviewed for this podcast. I know, right? And guess what? <laughs> I, I know a third. Oh, I've got to get her on. amazing? So there's something about like, the, I don't believe in numerology until I noticed that like, oh my gosh, is there like an energetic like force behind our names that turns us into like business development fundraising types? It's very strange. But anyway, Maybe there is. Maybe there is. Juniper, <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You have been listening to Fundraising Everywhere podcast, and uh, we hope to have you back next time. So send send Juniper your questions, because I know that you're going to have many like I am, and I'm going to be watching them on LinkedIn so I can learn some more. So thanks, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.